In most cases, parents never quite know when their baby is going to be born. Sure, they may have a general time frame, but they don't know exactly. And that affects how they live. They have to be ready at any time for their child's arrival. Today, Pastor Daniel explains that Jesus is going to come back someday, but no one knows when. You'll see that this reality should impact how you live because you want to be ready for it. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in 2 Peter chapter 3 as he begins his message, The Truth About the End. So we all know it intuitively, but life is a series of choices. And depending on what decisions you make, also kind of lands you where you land. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I look back at my life and I'm always amazed by the decisions that are made and where they land. So you think about making a decision. For each one of us, the decision involves taking in information and then making judgment calls. The problem with most decisions, of course, is we don't know the answer, what the right decision to make is. I remember when I fasted for the very first time. I was a young believer. I was playing music professionally. And I remember I read about fasting and I said, well, I'm going to fast. And so I learned about it. And if you know me at all, you know, like choosing not to eat is like a huge step of faith. You know, it's like a big, it's a big thing, you know? And I remember just being like, I don't know why someone would want to do that, but if it's for Jesus, there's got to be something there, you know? And so I remember I fasted and God began to speak to me. And I felt like I was supposed to take a step of faith and leave a career in music and pursue the pastoral ministry. And I think about that moment when I made that decision. I remember going into a group that I was touring with. And I remember saying to them, listen, I'm going to, we have these gigs for the next five months and we've got these tours. And then after that, I'm going to leave because I'm going to go be a pastor. But I always wonder, you know, like I made that decision and then all these other things end up happening. But had I not made that decision, when Jesus prompted me to take that step of faith, had I said no, I mean, who knows where my life would have landed? Who knows what would have happened? And that's why we talk here at Crosses a lot about the need to simply respond to Jesus, because in those moments, Jesus invites us into things that maybe we wouldn't have chosen. But when we say yes and we take the steps, amazing things can happen. But at the same time, how many of us do you know what it's like to be able to look back on things and said, Jesus invited me, but I didn't respond. Isn't it true? Like where there's times where there's this opportunity that arises and you say, I'm going to do something else. But don't you still wonder, I wonder where that would have landed? I wonder what would have happened. See, this is how a life of regret happens, isn't it? When you start to say, 
I should have made this decision. 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 So life is a series of choices, and those choices are, are real for us. But again, the thing about choices is that choices come from the information you know and then where you want things to land. And I'm always learning in my life, and I know you are as well, to try and not only think about the decision in the moment, but to think, what does this decision mean for me in a year from now? Or in five years from now? Or in 50 years from now? What does this decision mean in the long term, not just in the moment? Our founding pastor, Bill Ritchie, calls this thinking consequentially. Thinking about where this thing lands in the future. And I think what happens is, is in the heat of the moment, we often don't do a great job of doing that, do we? In the moment, we don't think about what does this mean in five years for me? What does this mean in 10 years for me? But I think we'd be wiser if we did. In a lot of ways, we need to have the outcome in mind and then reverse engineer our decisions in the present. Where do you want to be? What do you want your testimony to be? What do you desire at your eulogy people to say about your life? And then reverse engineer your decisions so that that is the outcome. But when you keep the end in mind, it will adjust the way that you live. There's an old saying that if you have no clue where you're going, any path will do, right? If you don't have a destination, you can do anything you want. But if you have an end in mind, not every path will be appropriate. And I want to talk about that today as we begin to wind down this series that's called Truth and Lies from Second Peter. So open up your Bibles, Second Peter chapter 3, verses 10 to 13, in a message that I'm calling the truth about the end. Because we want to keep that end in mind. So Second Peter chapter 3. So open up your Bibles. Of course, if you have a smart device, you can pull that thing out. Just type in 2 Peter 3 colon 10 dash 13. You'll get our text for today. I want to read you the whole text. It's only four verses, but there's so much in these verses. It says this, Second Peter 3, 10 But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now, here's a truth for all of us, that every beginning has an ending. With every creation, there comes a consummation. Nothing lasts forever. And The Apostle Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, has been speaking about the return of Jesus. See, when Jesus came and he died on the cross and he rose again, he ascended into heaven and he said, I'm coming back. And so there's a day coming when Jesus is going to come back. That's called the day of the Lord. And it's something that we hope for. But Peter is cycling back to it because he wants us to have the end in mind. Now, the first thing that we learn about this day of the Lord is that it comes unexpectedly. It comes 
unexpectedly. Listen to what it says. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. So the idea of the thief in the night is, of course, Jesus uses this as an example in Matthew chapter 24, verses 42 to 44. Listen to what Jesus says. Watch therefore, for you do not know the hour that your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So let me give you an example. If you knew that someone was going to come to rob your house, you wouldn't pay the monthly charge for your alarm system. There'd be no need for it because you're like, the thief's coming at this time and you can be there and you can have all your law enforcement friends there and your arsenal and everything and you can get your karate on or whatever. And you don't need to spend the money on the alarm service. But we know that the reason we have alarms, for those of you who do, is you just don't know what time it's going to happen. If something malicious is going to happen, you don't know what time it is. And Jesus uses this as an example saying that my return is going to come at a moment you do not expect. It's unexpected. They call this the doctrine of eminency, which the idea is that the return of Jesus is eminent, but nobody knows exactly when it is. Now, what's interesting about the idea of something happening imminently or unexpectedly is that you have the element of surprise. I started thinking about this, the element of surprise, and we were laughing at my house because I want to tell you a story. So when Lynn and I got engaged, right? Lynn can tell the story way better than I can, of course, but like we had an arranged marriage. No, not by our parents. Her parents would never have chosen me, you know, but, but the Lord put us together, but we didn't like Lynn and I never dated and all that stuff. And so we didn't really know each other's families. And, and I remember when we got engaged, we got engaged the same weekend that Lynn's brother, David, got married. And I remember, so we get engaged, and I cleared that with David and his bride, Erica, that it's okay if, if we got ma- engaged on the same weekend. And so I get to the, the, the wedding reception, and right as I get there, everyone's like, have you talked to Uncle John yet? I'm like, talked to Uncle John. Have you talked to Uncle... Everyone's like, you talked to Uncle John yet? So finally, I'm like, well, who's this Uncle John? I'm like, oh, oh, oh. So I get to hear all the stories about Uncle John. Uncle John is Lynn's mom's brother. So Lynn's uncle. And Lynn's mother, like my mother, had passed away when Lynn was younger. And so Uncle John was like the family boss, so to speak. So Uncle John was well known to be like the tough guy. Like he was going to like give me a talking to about marrying his niece. And so after the second time, I get all the lowdown on Uncle John. And I'm like, oh, I know this type of guy. I mean, I'm an Italian from New Jersey. Every guy's like this. So then two more people are like, well, have you talked to Uncle John yet? And finally, I'm like, that's it. I'm not going to wait for Uncle John to come to me. I'm going to go to Uncle John. Because I'm from New Jersey, and so I'm dumb, you know? And so, so sure enough, I grab Lynn. I'm like, where's Uncle John? She's like, what are you going to do? I'm like, don't worry about it. She's like, he's right over there, and he's talking with all these other aunts and uncles. And so me, being me, I go up to Uncle John. I sit on his lap. I give him a big, hairy, wet kiss. And I say, hey, Uncle John, my name is Daniel. I just got engaged to your niece, Lynn. And Uncle John was shell-shocked. It was like he was off his game, you know, and he didn't know what to do. And he was just kind of looking at me and I'm like, I heard you wanted to talk to me. And he kind of put himself together and then he gave me a good talking to. And and I was happy that he did that. But the beauty is is I ruined his moments because I didn't wait till he was ready. I'm just like, I'm going to preempt this thing. And you can imagine, I mean, to this day, me and Uncle John, we'd be good. You know what I mean? Because I know no one's ever handled Uncle John in that way. But I had the element of surprise. 
right? It's a good story, isn't it? You can just imagine this, right? Happening. Now, I share this with you because when Jesus comes back, there's that element of surprise where he's going to come back at a moment nobody expects. So no one's going to be like, well, I'm prepared for it and I'm ready for it. And I know Jesus is coming back today. Now, I know you all, if you've been in church long enough, you've heard all these people who know exactly when Jesus is coming back. Guess what? They be lying. They may think that they're right, but Jesus tells us nobody knows. Jesus couldn't even tell his disciples when he was going to come back. There's an unexpected reality to this, and it comes as a thief in the night. But because you realize that Jesus' return is unexpected, then we start to say, if Jesus is going to come back at a moment I don't expect, then what do I do? How do I live? Now, before we leave this idea of Jesus coming unexpectedly, it is important that we realize when Jesus comes back that in his second coming, as we call it, I want you to notice what will happen. In the middle of verse 10, it says, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Now, we've already established a little bit earlier in Second Peter chapter 3 that, that the second coming, the final judgment, will involve fire. But now we realize that the heavens and the earth and all the works that are in it will be burned up. So you have to get this, because this gives you a proper way to frame our lives, most of the stuff's going to burn. I don't want to be a downer because I think you hear that kind of stuff. And it's like, well, everything's rubbish. It's all garbage. But in some ways, it really is. I think we have a tendency to hold on to these things, pretending that there's something that they're not. But when you have the perspective that, hey, you know this thing that you just love and you're so passionate about? Is it eternal? It doesn't mean you don't still enjoy it, but you have to put it in the proper perspective. The Bible teaches that there are three eternal things. There's God, there's people, and there's the word of God. Everything else is temporary. And when you realize that everything else is temporary, you begin to hold it in a different way. You can still enjoy these things, but like, let me tell you, the Seahawks are temporary. They are. There ain't going to be like, you know, in heaven, like, Seahawks are playing on Sunday, let's skip church. You know, like, that's not going to go on in heaven. You know what I mean? And so, I'm not saying we don't enjoy the Seahawks. Of course we enjoy the Seahawks. Unless you don't. Because you'd be hating. And we know there's some of you here at Crossroads, but because of Jesus, we don't kill you. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. You know, I'm a Giants fan. I'm a New York Giants fan. So, anyway. Another note. But when we realize that a lot of the things that we get ourselves anxious about, worked up about, they're all temporary. It changes the way we hold them. See, we have to make sure that we hold the most important things in the most important ways. And Jesus' return is unexpected. And this heaven and this earth and the works that are contained within it are going to be burned. They're not going to survive. But then Peter moves from there in verse 11 and says this, therefore. You notice that word, therefore? Yeah, you guys know I love that word, right? When you see the word therefore, what do you say? What's it there for? You can read any book that way, not just the Bible. But when you read the word therefore, it's a concluding statement. Now, because Jesus comes back and he's coming, it's going to be unexpected, right? And all the heavens and all the earth and all the works that are in it are going to be burnt up. Therefore... Since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness looking for and hastening 
the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. See, Peter says, because this is happening, since these things are going to be dissolved, since it's all going to be dissolved by fire, it's all going to be burned up in burning heat, what manner of persons ought you to be? And here's my answer to that. You guys ready? Be who you should be. Be who you should be. See, you put the perspective that it's all going to burn, that this stuff is temporary. What manner of persons ought we to be? We should be the people we should be. And Peter tells us what kind of people we should be. Look at what it says. It says, in holy conduct and godliness. There it is. The person you and I should be is a person who is holy in conduct and someone who is godly. This is who we should be. Given the information we have, because we know that the end is coming and it's happening in a moment we don't expect and all this stuff's going to burn, now we live this way. Holy conduct. That word holy literally means to be set apart or to be deemed as sacred. It's one of the favorite words and most oft-repeated phrase in the book of Leviticus. I know all of your favorite books of the Bible, right? Be holy as the Lord your God is holy. See, the idea is that God is not common. God is unique and God is set apart. And when God calls you and I to follow Jesus, he calls us to be set apart, to live in such a way that is distinct and unique from the world in which we live. Holy conduct is simply responding to Jesus in a way that makes you different. But here's the thing. For most of us, we're not different. And I'm not talking about like different weird. I mean, like some of us are different weird and we kind of wear it as a calling card and you got to work with what you got. But we're talking about being set apart from this world for the things of God. And unfortunately, the church of Jesus Christ in the 21st century has lost an idea of what it means to be holy as the Lord our God is holy. Where we think that if we just visit church or put in our time, that now all of a sudden that means that we're different. No, it's what you do with the information you receive and the fellowship you have at church. That's where life is lived. See, if there is 1,440 minutes in a day and you take 80 of them on a Sunday to be at church, that's not going to change your life unless the stuff that you hear now finds its way not from just your head to your heart, but from your heart out to your hands and your feet and your calendar and your checkbook or your online banking, you know? Like, we want to live this stuff out. We don't just want to hear this stuff and be like, yeah, that was a funny sermon or that was cool or yeah, we're almost done with Second Peter or... I got me a new little biblical nugget there. You know, the therefore, what's it there for? But God's interested in us learning how to live. And the person we should be because of who Jesus is, is that we should be holy. Our conduct, I mean, even think about that word. The idea is our lives should be holy. It's we're set apart. We're set apart from the world toward God. That's what it means. We're set apart from the world Towards God. And I'm not saying that, okay, this is not like one of those, like, well, you guys got to get better messages. Because I actually don't believe that left up to our own devices, we can get better. I mean, you can change things in your life, 
But what Jesus is interested in is us being so enraptured and tied by the spirit to the finished work of Jesus that now as we approach our days, we approach it with a whole different set of criteria for what success is. Like if you were to ask somebody, who do you think is a successful person? You will understand what their core values are depending on who they pick, right? Because like, how do you define success? There's the world's way of defining success. There's all these different ways, but then there's God's ways of defining success. Like the greatest in my kingdom is the servant of all. You know, when was like, who was the most successful person? Well, the poor in spirit, the least of these, the most humble servant that nobody knows about. We never choose that, but that's what God chooses. That's what God vows. And I think what happens is, is that when we choose to respond to Jesus in the ways that we live, now all of a sudden, as God is, we begin to make different sets of decisions. So our conduct should be holy. And when our conduct is holy, then we have this godliness attribute that comes out, which is the likeness of God, that God shares his personality, his passions, his way of living in the world. He shares it with us. And then as he shares it with us, we in turn share that same way of being out into the world. So when I say be who you should be, it's, Not who we were before we came to know Jesus, but who we are in Christ. The new identity that we have. Now, I don't know about you, but every day when I wake up, I say, Lord, I want that. Because I realize how much of like the old Daniel still is in me. Even though I have the brand new life of Christ, it's like that's still like old, you know, like, you know, zombie Daniel. You know, he's been reckoned dead to Jesus, but he still kind of hangs around every once in a while old ways of thinking and old ways of acting and old ways of doing. You guys understand what I'm talking about here? I don't think I'm alone in this, but I want to be who I should be. I want Jesus to make me like him. This reminds me, of course, of Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. See, we had a great example of this just in our home. I love to tell stories about my Obadiah and my Annabelle because, well, Obadiah's, he's Obadiah and Annabelle, she's nuts, you know? And I, people say to me, they say, well, why don't you talk about Maranatha? I'm like, well, because Maranatha is like the most solid person I've ever met. She's nine years old. I mean, like when I say Maranatha solid, I mean like Maranatha is solid. Like, she gives great parenting advice. And I'm here to tell you, if you want parenting advice, talk to Maranatha. She gives me and Lynn parenting advice, and she's right. Jesus is real. We're all works in progress. Jesus is making us more like him all the time. That's the hope, right? And it doesn't end there. As you're transformed by Jesus, his character and qualities are displayed in you. You become a light in the world, showing other people who he is. Today, Pastor Daniel encouraged you to pursue the Lord and yield to the work he wants to do in you. Say yes to Jesus and let go of the old, broken parts of you that are still hanging on. 
Pastor Daniel's message today is just one of many he shared from a variety of books in the Bible. Would you like to explore more? Just visit JesusIsRealRadio.com to access our library of audio. You can also connect with Pastor Daniel on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram through the links you'll find at the bottom of the page, JesusIsRealRadio.com. Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus Is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to JesusIsRealRadio.com, click on the Stations option in the main menu, and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will share more about how living with the end in mind can make a big impact on your life. Because you know that Jesus is coming back, you go through your days with that expectation and hope. You look forward to his return. And as you'll learn, that excitement translates into sharing God's heart with others, which then hastens his return. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called Truth and Lies. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.